and gentlemen, boys and girls, guests and hosts of either hat color, welcome back to Westworld Weekly, a host and guest guide to the park and general AI revolt. This week we have no guests in the park. I'm your host, Beef, and this week we will be talking about episodes 3, 4, and 5 of season 1. I was going to just try to keep my thoughts to episodes 3 and 4 this week, but I accidentally watched 5 and now they're all muddled in there. We also do have some listener email later on from a couple listeners, so again, open call, open shout out. Please send in some emails, thoughts, theories to westworldweekly at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at Westworld Weekly. Season 1, Episode 3, The Stray, opens up with Bernard and Dolores still keeping up with their late night chats. This time Bernard gives Dolores another book, which is Alice in Wonderland, and she notices that all the books that he continues to give her seem to be about change. Shortly after that, we follow the programmer, Elise, and she's still digging into what seems to have happened with Abernathy and everyone around him. Well, apparently Walter and the other hosts, or one or two other hosts, seem to have been carrying on a one-sided conversation with Arnold, and Walter killed six of the hosts that had killed him in previous storylines. As Bernard is questioning Elise about this, they get a warning that uh, one of the livestock has gone stray. So Elise goes out in the field with the security dude, the macho guy, and there's a cute little flirting session between them as they go looking for this host. And there's a nice little line about um, with the pistol. There's only one line of code that keeps them from ripping your head off. We get some nice other information from this exchange and walk through the park as well. We find out that each of the hosts have to be programmed specifically to use a weapon, even if it's something as small as an axe or a hatchet. That's why earlier in the episode, Dolores couldn't be taught how to shoot by Teddy. Uh, she couldn't actually physically pull the trigger. So there's a group of hosts that get stuck in a loop because the woodcutter is the one that is the stray and just wanders off. This stray has also been carving what appear to be constellations in the back of wood. For what reason, they don't ha have any clue. The few times that we see Mav in this episode, she is visibly shaken and starting to come unhinged. Every time she sees Teddy, she starts to have flashbacks of seeing him in the basically butcher area the couple nights before. The more and more we see Dolores, you realize that she is really trying to get out of her little loop as well. She keeps talking to Teddy saying, you know, what if I don't want to stay here? You know, let's go now. Let's not go someday. Someday seems like the thing people say when they don't actually want to go. So you can see there's something out there actually really pulling her or drawing her out. Right around that same time, you see Ford take Teddy into a diagnostic and he tells him that he was never here to protect Dolores. It's her, his job to keep her here. Make sure the guests are able to find her if they want to best the gunslinger and have their way with his girl. So that just proves to you that Teddy is just a part of Dolores' backstory, uh, an anchor point to keep her tethered there so she doesn't want to wander. That same scene, it's cool to see Ford upload Teddy's backstory with Wyatt. And instantly you can see a purpose wash over Teddy's face. Uh, a new a new reason for being because now he has something he can complete and then hopefully quote unquote be with Dolores. This episode is the one where we get some really telling info about Ford and just how he sees his creations. This is the one where he ridicules the worker for covering the host up with a smock or a towel uh, for worrying about its modesty. This is also the episode that Ford and Bernard have their chat about the old hosts and about Arnold. 
and Arnold's Search for Consciousness. Uh, they lived in the park for three years with no guests. The de-aging that they did on Ford was, or Anthony Hopkins was amazing. I, I haven't seen de-aging like that ever, I don't think, in my life, and it, it really worked. The consciousness that Arnold was trying to achieve was programmed into their heads as a inner monologue, their programming, so they heard that as the voice of God. If you look closely in the scene as well, when they do the de-aging and they show Ford from 30-some years ago, the logos on everyone's shirt, their white lab coats, are the same from the William and Logan storyline. And there's a lot of info online where people are thinking that both of these storylines are two completely different storylines. The one with William and Logan and Dolores is 30-some years ago because right when they enter the park, they come up those escalators and it's on a big screen, an old Westworld logo. That's the same logos on the people's lab coats 30-some years ago. But now on everything else on the show, it's a new updated logo. So everyone thinks that they're potentially two different timelines. And uh, the stuff in those flashback scenes would kind of support that. There is something I will touch on quickly now, but it's in the next episode that when Dolores is way out of her loop, the security guy gets a update saying that, you know, one of our hosts is uh, really far out of her loop. We don't know if she's being accompanied and they send a person down there or another robot down there to wrangle Dolores. Well, it's in the old school, quote unquote, old school timeline, the Logan and William storyline. So if Logan and William are old, or that that's a 30-some-year-old story, then that security guy is a robot because he would also be non-aging for 35 years. I don't know. That's just crazy thought towards it and thought against that whole theory. All right, well, it has begun. My brain has already started to sidetrack me. Let's get back to some of the telling crap that uh, Dr. Ford had said, the stuff about Arnold. Oh, he died in the park. His personal life was marked by tragedy. He put all his hopes into his work into his search for consciousness, and, it, and that consumed him. We called it an accident, but I knew Arnold, and he was very, very careful. Anyway, I know it's all speculation, but that sounds like somehow he commits suicide or something, maybe one of his creations killed him because he removed some safeguards, or I don't know. That's just, there's a lot of meat there to chew on, if you will. Also on the chalkboard, when Ford draws his uh, pyramid that Arnold thought, it started with memory, then improvisation, self-interest, and something at the top based on the bisominal mind. He, If you look at the rest of the board, I think that's the telling thing. He has like 10 boxes written down, and it's revel, reveries, low-level agencies, impulse filters, uh, database backup, safeguards, storyline sync, and they all point to host reflex, recognizers, and memorizers. I think Ford is in his own way trying to create consciousness, just a slightly different workaround than what Arnold was trying to do back in the day. I don't have a lot of basis for that other than just his actions keep leading me to that belief. This episode is also the first episode we see a guest get shot. William gets shot in the street and he whines a little bit to Logan that it did hurt. And Logan says, well, I said they couldn't kill you. I never said they couldn't hurt you. Otherwise, it wouldn't be any fun. We see Teddy this episode with the guest that is in the park, the female who's romping around doing all these missions with Teddy, if you will, the bounty hunts and whatnot. And she's there later on the hunt for Wyatt. Um, this new part of Ford's storyline where he goes out there and he finds Wyatt. Now, was Teddy 
and that woman were hitting people at the end. They got surrounded by bad dudes and they were hitting people. They weren't going down. Now, are those people in the new storyline guests as well? So they can't really be killed by the hosts? Or are these just stronger hosts that take more than one or two bullets to go down? I don't know why there'd be a difference in the hosts, but uh, don't know with whatever Ford's creating. We get a handful more backstory of Bernard here. We see flashes of his son that passed, and he's talking with his ex-wife, who is none other than Zoe from Firefly. So that's pretty sweet. Um, they're talking about the loss of their son, and do you wish you could? Do you think you could ever forget? Do you wish you could ever forget? And he states, uh, "No, the pain is all that I have left of him," which is a pretty big statement. And we know we'll come back to bite them later. Bernard also catches back up with Dolores a handful more times in this episode. And he's kind of panicking after his talk with Ford because in his own way, it seemed like Ford was warning him not to search for consciousness, just like Arnold had done. But he keeps asking Dolores, what should I do with you? Have I made a mistake? And he tries to describe to her, imagine that there are two different versions of yourself. She thinks for a second and says, there aren't two versions of me. There's only one. And once I discover who I am, I believe I will be free. That's telling because he asks why she said that, and she has no idea, even in analysis mode. she It's not something from a previous loop or something that they wrote for her. That's her actual thought. So he decides not to wipe her now, and he tells her, you know, make sure you don't tell anyone about our conversations and stay on your loop. We cut back to her arriving to the ranch, and since Teddy is now strung up in a field somewhere after shooting a bunch of people that wouldn't die... She is alone and gets up to the ranch and basically gets dragged into the barn by the guy with the milk. I can't remember his name. One of the bad guys from the first handful of episodes. And um, she finds the gun from earlier in the episode that I believe she put out into the hay. And she proceeds to shoot the dude twice in the throat. She wasn't able to at first. She was only able to because of visualizing the man in black. And then finally she was able to pull the trigger. She runs off and flees. And what we see next is she comes stumbling out of the dark into the William and Logan storyline and almost faints into the fire. And William catches her. Back to the Elise and security guy storyline, who may be a robot. They're stumbling around looking for this stray. And Elise has to go pee. So she kind of sneaks off in a direction and starts to do her business. And she hears sounds behind her. She gets up and looks, and the stray is stuck in the bottom of a ravine, kind of flopping around, trying to get out, but it can't. So the security guy climbs down there, and she puts the stray into sleep mode, and security dude proceeds to start to hack its head off, and the stray wakes up, knocks security guy over, climbs up the ravine, and picks up a large rock, and you think he's going to crush Elise but he proceeds to bash his own head in eight or nine times to destroy his skull or CPU. Uh, It was fucking gruesome. It was bloody and awesome and crazy to watch. But now, did he do it just to kill himself? Did he do it because he didn't want to go against his programming and hurt Elise? Or did he do it because he needed to damage CPU and didn't want anyone to get part of whatever code was making him malfunction? I don't know. 
And I still really think that no one out there is paying enough attention to that chalkboard. I'm not smart enough to understand what it all means, but the way it is all like a flowchart and graph, I really think Ford is trying to create some form of his own consciousness on his own level. Alright, Season 1, Episode 4, Dissonance Theory. This episode opens up again with Dolores being questioned by Bernard, and she is remembering her parents are dead and starting to freak out, and he tells her to limit emotional affect, and boom, again it's gone. Perfect acting. Bernard offers to take the pain away, and Dolores right away asks why the pain is all she has left of them and of their loss. So, obviously their feelings are mirroring each other's, so Bernard listens to her and does not take the pain away. Uh, what is her quote here? I feel space is opening up inside of me, like a building with rooms I've never explored. Is that her consciousness blooming? That's obviously what they want you to believe. Bernard even turns Dolores on to finding the maze. Then maybe you can be free. And she says, I think I think I want to be free. She's also starting to notice that something is really wrong with their world. And if it's not wrong with the world, it's wrong with herself. Later in the episode, she is still continuing to be pulled by something in a direction. Sometimes I feel like something's calling me, telling me there's a place for me somewhere beyond all this. Ah, that seems like a lot of foreshadowing that she is somehow going to get out of the park and exist out of there, which, you know, I've seen Ex Machina. It can happen, people. Back to Mav and in the saloon, she is continually having flashbacks of being shot and cleaned up more and more frequently it seems like she can remember bits of each piece of it uh, she's remembering people in their hazmat style suits with their splatter screens and she's rushing to the room you know she's seeing uh, clementine be dragged out with blood trailing behind her they left a bullet in her you know patch her up she's wanted topside quick so she goes and runs back to her room and sketches this drawing and she hears someone and she goes to stash the drawing and there's like a dozen other same drawings in the floor so right away then she can tell she's been seeing this thing and remembering it, but not enough to recall it every time. Maeve and Hector's relationship takes a nice interesting twist this episode. He basically describes what those people are. The Native Americans have their own thoughts and theories on them. Uh, they call them the shade, you know, sent from hell to oversee our world. They're the men who walk between both worlds. It's kind of interesting that the you know Native Americans or whatnot have a story behind it because probably in the early days of the park, that's what a lot of people did is go there and slaughter and play cowboys and Indians and all that bullshit. They died a lot more, so the shades or the people in hazmat suits had to go and clean up their bodies. So they had a lot more instances of death, so then they had a lot more chances to remember bits of death little bit of the behind-the-scenes programming stuff with uh, Bernard and Elise. They're trying to figure out what happened with the smashed head guy, and no one really can tell. But Teresa, her team, steals it away, so Elise and Bernard won't be able to figure out what's going on. But as soon as they leave the room, Elise starts busting Bernard's balls about, you know, why, why wouldn't you back me up? I wish you wouldn't have come in the room at all. And right away, Bernard kind of patronizes her and says, oh, you know, when I first started, I believed that they were lifelike and had feelings and thoughts. And then he cuts her short by saying, and Orion's belt has three stars, not four. So he just kind of gives her the slough off and the, I don't know, it's just, it's kind of weird that he brushes her off because he knows clearly something is going on. He's helping create consciousness in his own right. And maybe he just doesn't want her to get to the bottom of it. Next, we'll pop over and visit the man in black in his storyline. 
Uh, he's still searching for the, where the snake lays its eggs at the head of the Royal River. And he sees a, an attractive blonde with a snake tattoo. So he says his whole spiel of, you know, uh, this whole world is a story. I've read every page except the last one. I need to see how it ends. And he just kind of jokes around with her, you know, how the hell have we never met? Clearly a terrible oversight on my part. Uh, you look short-handed. We have enough men. He shoots two of them. Seems like you got a couple positions open. That's it's nice to see how the game is played by the man in black, and you keep getting more and more about the actual storyline. But it's I don't know. It's it's just strange to see where it's going. You know, the whole oh they're going to steal a cannon and blast their way in. Uh, I don't have time for color by the numbers bullshit. So he goes up and offers to get it handled with a match, a pistol, and him and. Lawrence alone, which is pretty sweet to see as well with the uh, we need approval for two low-level pyrotechnics. So does the control room approve everything that they do, even gunshots? Uh, later in an episode, they jam. Actually, I think it was later in this episode. They jam two guests' guns who rode into town with Hector. So... I mean, they know all these guns that are firing. How would they not know when Dolores shot the gun the other episode and killed the other host? I don't know. They seem to know so much when it's convenient, and they seem to forget and not know things when it's convenient for the storyline as well. So I'm just wondering if that's oversights on their part or if they actually have a plan for it. Kind of in that same breath and thought, they said, you know, a host is making a pretty big deviation from her loop. And that was when Dolores was out supposedly with William and Logan. So they shipped, the security guy shipped a person down, a robot wrangler, whatever you want, to go find Dolores and see if she was being accompanied by a guest or to bring her back to the spot. So again, this leads weight to the fact that this are not two separate timelines unless the security guy is a robot himself. Because when the robot wrangler gets there and, just grabs Dolores's arm and that look that they exchange and she starts flashing and seeing things. Uh, it's really quick, but she's, she sees a church and then you see her digging in the ground with a cross that says Dolores A-B-E-R. So it could be her own grave that she is digging at. I don't know how or why, but um, I did see that online and it is there. I did slow the video down. That's pretty cool. Dolores' story about the herd of cattle and occasionally one of them would get lost and then they'd worry about it and bringing it back to the farm and then after time she realized that bringing it back to the farm just meant bringing back to being slaughtered. That's just a nice obvious metaphor for the hosts being reset and slaughtered basically daily. More and more of what the man in black says to the snake chick and to Lawrence, uh, I really believe he's just trying to find them consciousness. He talks about setting Lawrence free and actually giving Lawrence free will. Uh, talks about he's still there to honor Arnold's one last piece of the story. I really think he's got a big role to play. I don't know if I like the theory that that is either William or Logan, but I don't know. If it keeps playing out well, I will keep watching. When the man in black finally meets... Hector and goes to break him out of jail. You always seem like a market tested kind of thing. Big gun, tasteful scar. <laughs> it's they have fun interactions because they are both such strong characters, even though one is built and written. Gods, men, everything else will will end badly. No one will be saved. That is when uh, the man in black really starts to appreciate Hector and his worldviews. 
And again, Lawrence gets saved from certain death by the man in black. Man in black, Hector and Lawrence ride back to camp where he finally gets the story about the snake tattoo. Uh, when she was seven, men rode, masked men rode into her town with devil's horns. They cut her mother from her jaw to her sex. She had to paint herself in the blood of her mother so that they would think she was dead. And throughout her life, she has hunted each one of these men down and killed them and tattooed herself in their blood. The only one left is Wyatt. Dun, dun, dun. We jump over to the awesomeness that is Bernard and Charissa's relationship. Uh, after their romp, their stress-relieving romp, he's talking to her and she describes uh, her next meeting with Ford about the you know committee and everybody's worries about his update to the park. And Bernard starts telling her about don't cross your arms. Uh, the belly is the most vulnerable spot. It's an ancient instinct. And she says she loves to be compared to a beast. Teresa and Ford's lunch. Ah, that is definitely ominous and eerie. He takes her to a restaurant, the exact table. She visited the park, you know, whatever, 35, 40 years ago with her parents. And he sat her down at the exact same table from that many years ago, basically to tell her to don't screw with my life. Don't screw with my ideas. He tells her about Arnold. We imagined things would be perfectly balanced. We made a hundred hopeful storylines and almost no one took us up on them. He freezes the entire world and basically says, in here we were gods. You people, you were merely our guests. It's a way to show his power in this place and to hopefully intimidate Teresa, but she really isn't having any of it because she says the board will back her. Uh, but he goes, Ford goes on to basically blackmail her, kind of. By saying, you know, we know everything about our guests, don't we? And we know everything about our employees. Do be careful with Bernard. If that's the case, does Ford, I mean, is that true? Does Ford then obviously know exactly what Bernard and Dolores are up to? If so, is he okay with it? I don't know. That's maybe he is, maybe he isn't. Maybe he doesn't really know everything. Um, he goes on to tell Teresa, there have been many of you throughout the years, and we have always almost always found a way to make it work. Please don't get in my way. It's it's a weird thing to basically just threaten openly some of your employees. But I mean, I guess he does have a God complex. He created an entire world. So Billy and Logan go to find Slim on that bounty hunt. And once they get him, Slim starts talking about, my boss, El Lazo, will pay you more and take me to Pariah. And uh, basically, the sheriff gets one in the brain from Logan because he is perpetually a black hat, and they move forward and start heading towards Pariah. Again, open sandbox video game. You may switch your allegiances. It's just definitely a lot more strange and uh, difficult to justify when they are 3D printed creations. So this time around, when Hector comes to raid the whorehouse, there are guests riding with him to help fend off other hosts. And they do their thing, and they're, you know, shooting up town and whatnot. And Hector and Maeve are up in the office trying to figure out if there's really a bullet in Maeve's side. And the people in the control room basically say something along the lines of homestead families are on their way into town. Does that mean, like, they've sold chunks of this park to homesteaders, and people come in there and live like old-school settlers? And because they instantly went to go clean up all the carnage, they said, you know, uh cut these guys off, jam their weapons, and send in the cavalry, and then bring them a key in their breakfast. So that's kind of cool that even if you're being a 
horrible person, they will end up, you know, locking you up for the night, but getting you out so you can still continue on with your $40,000 a day vacation, if you will. But again, if they know everything, they know when people are coming into town, they know all this and that. They should know what Bernard's doing with Dolores. They should know when Dolores shot the gun. Maeve and Hector. I'm not in the habit of cutting into defenseless women. And then when they do cut into her and they find the bullet, what does it all mean that I'm not crazy after all and that none of this matters? And they heartily lip lock and they go down in a blaze of bullets and gunfire. I think it's a cool way to end the episode. It's a cool way to show that everyone is all really starting to get consciousness and question their reality, depending upon on what level they question it, because it seems that Hector has questioned it for quite some time. Now it's just a matter of remembering that he questions it through each narrative loop and each iteration. All right, season one, episode five, Contraposa. We start out with Ford. Of course, down drinking with his favorite old bartender who always asks about, shall we drink to the lady in the white shoes? Have we ever seen Dolores' shoe color? Pretty sure he's talking about Dolores. No other reason than my brain to think that. But he's talking to this old bartender about a story of a greyhound and this greyhound catching a cat. I really think this is an analogy um, about his search for consciousness and now that he's caught it, what to do with it. It's kind of scary and fitting, though, because it's taken him this long, and now in his late years of his life, he doesn't know what to do after he felt like such a god for so long. I'm going to stick with the other little bits of the Ford storyline that I have here throughout this episode. Later on, Dolores is walking through the streets of Pariah with uh, the parade going on, the Death Day parade or whatnot, and she sees herself did she actually see herself? Was there something there? Was it just a visual thing? Either way, this other version of her leads her down the street and people around her use the shutdown code on her that we saw in episode one or two about maybe rest in a deep and dreamless slumber. And then she wakes up in Ford's diagnostic office, a lot like Bernard's, except she's naked now because you know he doesn't worry about their uh, modesty. And he asks her about, have you been dreaming again, dreaming of breaking out of your modest little loop and taking on a bigger role? And then he asks her about Arnold. I'm sure you remember him, Arnold, the person who created you. Somewhere under all those updates, he is still there, perfectly preserved. Your mind is a walled garden. Even death cannot touch the flowers blooming there. Uh, he goes on to ask her, have you been hearing voices? Has Arnold been, has Arnold been speaking to you again? He, uh, he puts a lot of weight on that word again. So has Arnold talked to her earlier back in the day, or is this still Arnold talking again? He switches her into analysis mode and says, uh, when was your last contact with Arnold? 34 years, 42 days, 7 hours. The exact day Arnold died. Supposedly that was the last time she had contact with him. Ford goes on to ask, what was the last thing Arnold said to you? Dolores says, he told me I was going to help him. Help him do what? To destroy this place. Uh, is this like a long program loop? Is she going to keep unraveling and help destroy it? I could see that. Ford goes on to continue to ask a few more things. You know, sorry for bothering you, but there's no one else left who was there. No one else who understands as we understand. Dolores asks, are we very old friends? No, I wouldn't say friends, Dolores. I wouldn't say friends at all. Does he feel bad? Does he, is he starting to... Uh, feel conflicted and 
horrible feelings about what he has done with these creatures, even though they haven't been sentient yet really up until this point. Is he starting to feel for them because he can see them gaining sentience and remembering all the crazy shit that's been happening to them? Again, he hand gestures to shut her down and he leaves the room. And as soon as he's out of the room, Dolores perks up and says, he doesn't know. I didn't tell him anything. So who is she talking to? Is this Bernard she's still talking to or is this actually Arnold? I'm sure we'll get more answers pretty soon. The first time we see Dolores and Logan and William in this story, Dolores is standing by herself in a field full of graves outside of Pariah. And they pan around her and it looks like no one is there. So in my mind, she's having some sort of flashback or remembering. And then she comes to and she's surrounded by Slim, Logan, and William. And they head into the town of Pariah. They talk about it, you know, it seems like the inner parts were designed by committee and market tested. Out here it feels more raw and visceral. Dolores makes an interesting comment to William as they're walking through the streets. She says, Lately I wonder if every moment there aren't many paths, choices, hanging in the air like ghosts, and if I could just see them, you could change your whole life. She really is beginning to see everything start spooling out in front of her and seeing that there are other paths and choices she can take, especially because she's having such crazy deja vu. They end up getting an audience with El Lazo, which is Lawrence. We'll get to that part in a minute, but he just died a few minutes ago in this episode. So that leads some credence to the possible two timelines theory, which I don't think is true because of just the simple little stuff I debunked it with earlier. But... Is it the same guy just cleaned up within a couple hours, they quick clean his body up and then ship him over to the other storyline? Or do they use multiple or duplicate hosts in multiple and different roles in the world? Are these creations clones of some flavor? I know they're 3D printed, but the man in black alludes to they're not really robots anymore, not like they used to be. Uh, so they meet El Lazo Lawrence. He's not going to help them, but Dolores rambles at El Lazo uh, you know, you're searching for something. I'm sure we can help you if you help us. And then he approves. Right away, he says Dolores is going to need a change of clothes. And I like that he hands her a gray hat. Not black, not white, but perfectly middle of the road. They go out on this mission that Lawrence gives them to go get some nitroglycerin from soldiers. And they say that they're not going to hurt any of them because they are Union soldiers, just like Dolores' father. So she won't shoot any of them. But, you know, Logan, he's ready to do anything. He'll shoot just to see the fireworks, William says. After they get the stuff, Logan gets all macho and starts to beat up the soldiers. Well, of course, they turn on him, and William has to shoot and kill three unarmed robots, whatever, people, hosts, just to save Dolores. So little by little, he's begrudgingly becoming more and more part of this world and making choices based on just his instinct feelings while in this world. Lawrence treats the old Confederate soldiers and William, Dolores, and Logan to a you know night at the brothel and lots of horrors and a great orgy scene. And again, great choice of music for the orgy scene. A cover of Something I Can Never Have by Nine Inch Nails. It worked really well because you know, all this is just basically a fantasy. Uh, William goes on to tell Logan that he won't play war with him, that these guys are maniacs and insane. And Logan proceeds to belittle and tear apart William for never being a threat to anyone. Dolores randomly wanders off. She finds a crazy fortune teller. And the the fortune teller gives her a card, basically a tarot card. And it is the exact copy of the maze. The more and more I see this design of the maze on the tarot card and on the 
coffin later on in the very end of the episode. I'm I'm totally off base here, but walk with me. It's a journey. Thank you, Sean. Uh, it feels like the design of the maze, like there's an altar or something at the very bottom of where if Dolores would be in the middle of the maze, it would be just underneath her, like she'd be giving birth or something. Maybe she has to birth consciousness. Maybe since she's the oldest, she has to find it to the center of the maze and her code will help create consciousness for everybody. I don't know. That's my crazy thing. It's not even fully formed. It just popped in my brain, so it's probably completely wrong. Uh, the question of what's wrong with me, perhaps you're unraveling, as Dolores is talking to herself because the fortune teller turned into a copy of herself. And she grabs a thread in her forearm and pulls it. Yeah, that was a pretty disgusting visual. She panics and runs out of there. And through this old brothel, she comes along and finds Alasso stealing a bunch of the nitro. She runs back up to William, and William starts his little rant and thinking that the danger and sense of urgency is all manufactured by the park. And Dolores gets him to leave. Well, they see Logan getting the shit beat out of him, and William just decides, says, screw it, I'm going to leave him there. And I kind of think I see Logan smile that William is leaving. Not because he's happy he's leaving him to get his ass kicked, but because he's maybe making his own decision and doing something that isn't morally quote-unquote right, but he's becoming whoever he supposedly is inside this park. They round another corner, and they're stopped by the general of the confederados and William kills one of them and he gets held up by the other four and he yells for Dolores to run and it's just blam 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 and they zoom out and you see Dolores with this old school gunslinger stance and her gun is smoking and she killed all four of them and William asks how are you able to do that Dolores responds you said people come here to change the story of their lives I imagined a story where I didn't have to be the damsel think that is a great line and okay now bear with me walk with me here but is she the one can she see the code and now rewrite the code so she can change all the rules i don't know that's possible i don't want to say the one because that sounds like matrix but she did change for lack of a better term change all of her own rules and environment to be able to kill people and pull those triggers then they get on the train and the quick line about i don't trust him which is the first step in truly knowing me. They're talking to Lawrence. I love that. And the same thing. Dolores looks at the maze on the coffin. Something is weird about that altar right below the person in the center of the maze in my mind. But she looks off into space and says, I'm coming. Again, who is she talking to? Bernard? Arnold? Maybe they're one and the same. I don't freaking know. All right, we rejoin the Man in Black and Lawrence storyline with them roaming around carrying basically lifeless Teddy on the back of another horse. And Lawrence keeps asking, you know, why are you saving him? He used to be friends with Wyatt and Wyatt was an evil man. And the man in black just kind of says, that's exactly why we're saving him because I need his acquaintances. They pull off to the side of the road, trail, whatnot, and a little boy comes up upon them. It's the little Ford robot. Is he a spy? Does he report back to Ford and kind of tell ford what's going on or is he like ford's mobile eyes in the park that's what i thought at first especially when the man in black sends him away to get water well then the man in back black proceeds to kill lawrence to give teddy a blood transfusion and after a few minutes whatever hour some indeterminate amount of time teddy wakes back up the man in black says it's not my fault you're suffering you used to be beautiful 
When this place started, I opened one of you up, million little perfect pieces, and then they changed you, made you this sad, real mess of flesh and bone. They said it would improve the park experience, but it was just cost effective. So I never even noticed that. I never even... I. I know they 3D print them, but I still was thinking robots. And my buddy brought up a good point. He said, well, when that guy smashed his head in, it wasn't sparks and pieces of metal. It was blood and guts flying out. Are these clones? Are they, I don't know. It's just, it feels weird. It feels wrong. But it makes sense that over time they would evolve, quote unquote, the robots to make them more realistic. Shortly after that, the man in black basically manipulates Teddy by telling him that Wyatt came through and killed a settler family and made off with their daughter, and he says Dolores is in trouble, and right away Teddy perks up. Uh, It's kind of interesting to see that. That is still his drive. His drive is to protect Dolores. Then they get up and leave, and the man in black states, you know, don't worry about him talking about Lawrence to the little boy. Someone will be along to get him shortly. So again, that could be credence to they really did clean him up and ship him off to the other storyline, or that was just a standard fallback thing because someone will be there to clean him up and get him wherever he has to go. Later on at the episode, right towards the very end, uh, beat down from traveling, Ford and the, or sorry, Teddy and the men in black walk into a bar. I know that sounds like a joke, but Ford sits down with them, and they kind of have this real face-to-face between Ford and the man in black. It's interesting to see their interaction because you still don't know really anything about where either of them stand. The man in black says, you know, I always felt this place was really missing a real villain, hence my humble contribution. Ford comes back with, I admit, I lack the imagination to even conceive of someone like you. The urgency, however, doesn't quite fit the character. It betrays a certain anxiety. I don't understand that last part. I don't know what kind of a jab he's making, but he is definitely making a jab. And they go on to talk about needing to know more about the park. The man in black says something about um, the man I know. I need a shovel. He died almost 35 years ago and almost took this place with him, but he didn't thanks to me. So how did the man in black save the park or help save the park 35 years ago? Monetarily, did he stop a AI revolt? from picking place back then and now he's back to finish it there's so much stuff left out in the open and it like you said before this is like lost they give you just enough stuff to make your brain explode and keep it wandering but hey they got me watching the man in black then proceeds to pull his knife out and ask i wonder what i would find if i cut you oh and he can barely finish the word open and teddy jumps up grabs the knife bends the arm backwards and slams the knife into the table And uh, the man in black even comments, even at death's door, Teddy, you're still a loyal dog. A few seconds later, Ford gets up and he says, Mr. Flood, you must look back and smile at Peril's past. Mustn't we? He taps him on his shoulder and Teddy instantly bucks up and is ready to go now. He does his shot. He checks his gun. He gets up and starts to go. Dr. Ford snaps his fingers and the piano starts playing fast. Really, really fast. I don't understand what that means. I didn't even notice it the first time I watched it, but why would the piano need to make up time? Um, was that some sort of visual command? Sorry, was that some sort of auditory command like the shutdown code, but to make Teddy get up, disregard his pain, and move forward with his, you know, quote unquote loop or mission or whatever path he was on at that point in time? Because Teddy was next to death, and then all of a sudden he perks up with new purpose. 
I don't know. We'll know more about that at some point in time. All right. We really haven't touched on the behind the scenes stuff or the, you know, guys in the body shop and programmers and all that. And we first see the guys in the body shop this week. They're basically racing or competing to finish first and then, you know, ridiculing each other for, you know, oh, you only had a bullet hole and a knife wound. They get break time, obviously. And one of them says, I've got a ham sandwich and a nubile redhead loaded up in the VR tank. The redhead, the sandwich, or both? What's in the VR tank? Are they actually eating in VR tanks too? Or is it like sandwich and then he's going to take the romp in the VR tank? I don't know. That's just the way he phrased it was kind of strange. They cut back from that break scene and the butcher is trying to program a bird. The other one says something along the lines of, you're not an ornithologist, you're not a coder, you're a butcher, and that's all you'll ever be. A few seconds later, he wheels Maeve's dead body back over, and the one who's trying to be a programmer kind of jumps and shrieks. The other guy says, how the hell did you get this job if you're so scared of these things? Personality testing should have weeded you out in the embryo. Well, that right there is another weighty and heavy statement, because if they're personality testing these people in the embryo was that just a jab or are they actually using them for you know they're specifically putting them into classes of what they're going to be when they grow up from their embryo state right away that again would tell you how far into the future they have uh, more behind the scenes stuff elise uh, dealing with bart and his horrible poor and she kind of slides over and says you know i wouldn't want to reassign you to a narrative where your talents would go unappreciated and he's got the big swinging cod piece um Hey, that's the host that tried to kill me. She rushes off and follows it to where it's going to be incinerated. And then she goes to blackmail Destin to help him because he was basically screwing hosts while they were down in for servicing. And then you could either describe to the people over there that you're helping behavior track a problem down or I'm a creepy necro perv. It's up to you. So that kid does grant her access to the body. She goes in and she kind of flips the body over and she scans his back and she found a GPS. I thought she might be finding like a backup hard drive or something uh, just for data. But no, I was wrong. She does some more probing and prodding on his body and she finds a laser-based satellite uplink. Apparently the hosts have been smuggling data out of the park. They don't really give us any more info on it right there in this episode, but they just throw that in there, something more for you to kind of roll around in your head and have no idea what the hell it's going to mean till they ever decide to pay it off. The one last time we see a little bit of programmer behind the scenes stuff this week is when we see the butcher back in there programming the dead bird again or trying to make it move. Um, it's dead, it moves around, it becomes the live bird. That's flying around, and then all of a sudden, he looks over, and it lands on Mav's finger, and she's sitting up and says, Hello, Felix, it's time you and I had a chat. Did she wake up on her own? Did he accidentally wake her up because he was using the programming or behavioral tablet, and when he woke up the bird, he woke her up as well? Uh, My brain hurts, but again, it's one of those end-episode scares or reveals that is supposed to make you definitely not skip next week All right, and now on to some listener feedback and emails. We got three of them this week. First off comes from Jake. 
I guess what I mainly have to talk about, since I can't necessarily see where the show is going, is character motivations. Because in the end, I think that's what it's going to come down to. I'm hoping that it doesn't just take the simple way out of having the whole robots just decide to kill humans sort of ending. I kind of think that's a cop-out. With that said, the robots gaining consciousness is obviously the main point. They've even made more than one reference to biblical Genesis. The obvious one was Ford's statement about playing God, but also his aversion to protecting the robot's modesty. The first time God realizes that Adam and Eve have eaten the fruit of the tree of knowledge was when they started to hide their nakedness. Also, Ford waving off the snakes, representing the serpents. Deep, I know. I also like the question as to where the park actually is. I truly doubt it's on Earth, or at least not the Earth as we know of it. The staff has been referred to as being sent there for periods of time. I'm adding this next part, but also they talk about how hard it is to get a hold of someone there, and it takes a long time to contact them. He goes on to say, I also question not only the time flow of the story, but if the staff actually has some control over it. I mean, it would kind of take a guest out of the moment if they had to stop and let the staff clean up bodies at night. But back to motivations. Ford, I think he just wants to keep control of his creation. I'm thinking you're going to find that he has something to do with the other creator, Arnold's death. Dolores and Maeve just want to understand the world they are part of, though Dolores definitely has a bit more of extra programming pushing her. Bernard, unknown, but most likely has to do with the death of his son. Security MILF, uh, Teresa, I believe her name is, but yes. Easy, hers is just to keep the park running and corporate happy. The man in black, well, he obviously wants the maze, but what it actually ends up being is still a mystery. I think part of the climax is going to be him and Dolores competing for whatever the maze is. Also, they were talking in the beginning about other corporate visitors. Personally, I think he is corporate. Okay, so I get it. Uh, They sent the corporate visitor already and blah, blah, blah. He's already been here. That makes sense. He could be there testing it out and doing what he does. Um, I like these thoughts. I don't know if he had anything to do with uh, Arnold's death. Ford may have. I think it's always a possibility, but I think uh, Arnold got away with it. His own search for consciousness kind of let it slip, and he pushed it a little bit too far. And I still think Ford wants to keep control of his creation, but there may be part of him where he says, screw it, and realizes what he's done over the last 40 or 50 years, and now he wants to give these creations actual consciousness instead of just having them be puppets or dolls. Dolores and Maeve, yeah, they're both... I don't know. They want to understand their world, but Dolores is actually trying to break out of this cycle, finally, for once. No one else seems to want to get out of their loop, but now that more of them get consciousness, I think they will. Bernard, I personally have no idea what his motivation is. He's the programmer, first and foremost. He's that guy. I think that might might just be as simple as that, and then you add his son into it. That's why he's dabbling in consciousness. Security MILF, uh, upon rewatch, I think that she could be having other motivations. I just don't know what they are, but it is definitely corporate and whatnot related. It's all about the bottom line. But thank you, Jake, very much for the letter. I will gladly take more thoughts, theories, and crazy input, and I do appreciate any and all info. All right, the next letter comes from our, our homie Andy. Uh, both Jake and Andy have listened to damn near every cast that I've been on, so I'm sorry, fellas. But this one comes in from Andy. Episode one, Dolores definitely a host because no one can look no one can look so pretty right after waking up. About half a dozen times over the course of all the episodes, they show Dolores buying groceries, but each slightly different 
variations. I think that's just due to people bumping into her and stuff changing each day. And, you know, there are the small variations in each loop. All those Western landscapes, such stunning, something rarely seen on TV. Yeah, it's um, they all feel like a movie. And I think the only way they can get away with it is the whole HBO. Because, you know, they're great at shooting everything they do. Uh, he goes on to say, Dolores' path for, there's a path for everyone. Dolores keeps saying that. All those free will versus fate destiny themes are so right up my alley since the lost days. I completely agree. All these references to a bigger story with greater meaning feels a lot like Lost. But again, uh, what's his face? The man in black comments on that. Uh, an old friend of mine says there is a path for everyone. And he goes on to say, always had the feeling that the man in black is not evil, more like a Sawyer character who over the course of the series would we would begin to root for. Also not sure what he really did to Dolores in the barn. Maybe we'll see that later. Yeah, I've heard people speculate, and I even kind of kicked it around, that maybe he uh, reprogrammed her. Maybe he started to get her to have consciousness in a bigger picture than just you know raping her or doing something vile. He goes on to say, Bernard acts so fascinated by the hosts like a certain Arnold. I felt that too. It's then the way that Ford talks to him about making the same mistakes as Arnold. Maybe that's why Ford hired him because he saw a lot of Arnold in Bernard. Uh, Still confused about who left the picture for Peter Abernathy to find and how he even felt like digging there or what made him dig there. I completely agree. Um, Maybe that's just something completely different. Maybe Peter Abernathy had a bomb in his brain already, so to speak, and he was going to go off at a certain point, and the picture was just the catalyst that jump-started it. Uh, The bigger picture. What different interests do the players have in Westworld theme park? Like Resurrect the Dead? Uh, I know Ford says that. I don't know if they really want to, but I guess if you can find a way to upload consciousness into a robot body that you can reprint and build... How did the man in black know that the map would be under Kissy's scalp? I have no idea. Um, I Yeah, I got nothing, dude. I was going to say maybe if, if Kissy was a Native American, maybe the man in black just wanted to be a dick and scalp him. And then he's like, oh, look at that, a map. I don't know. Andy goes and comments as well on the old Bill and Dolores being the oldest hosts in the park and their acting scenes and Peter Abernathy in the laboratories. It, it was stunning. It was perfect for all intents and purposes. Uh, episode two, all you do is make choices. Again, it's, it is the theme. You're correct. There had to be instances where guests threw other guests off a cliff and hurt and killed them in some other way. I, I do, I do agree. I mean, especially if these are open vistas where people can be just bombarded and thrown down. I don't, I don't see why they couldn't, someone couldn't be riding a horse and get bucked off a horse or kicked in the head by a horse. It would still hurt and or kill you. The remember voice in Dolores' mind, should it be uh, Man in Black, Arnold, or someone else? I'm thinking it's Arnold or it's Bernard. I'm still thinking it's more Bernard than Arnold. Man in Black says, you used to be more eloquent to Lawrence. Really makes the different timelines theory seem more substantial that the Man in Black is older self, William. I do like that, but earlier in this episode, I go on to talk about the few things that are kind of that I don't believe, you know, or the things that do discount that. Dolores recognizing her reflection in the store window and then all those close-ups of the eye, so reminiscent of Lost. Again, true, because it plays on free will and fate and all that. The boy host really looks like Dr. Ford created him as a younger self. I completely agree, sir. Now the parking staff seeing what Men in Black does and still giving him free reign. Could be a VIP guest. Yeah, or an early programmer or someone. Maybe your corporate guy. 
Uh, in Maeve's dream, the man in black plays with his knife just how he did when uh, he took Dolores into the barn. Good point. Maybe it isn't a knife to them. Maybe it's something more. And that's not a euphemism for his giblets. I don't know. Maybe that's the way he reprograms them with the knife. Andy's thoughts on episode three. Alice in Wonderland book, again, like Lost with all the book references, questioning reality. Uh, who am I? Did someone compare all the shots of Dolores waking up in bed from all the each different timelines and iterations? I haven't seen that yet, sir. Same thing, Clementine, not much of a rind on you to the female guest. Yeah, that's the one that is out on all the bounty hunts with Teddy, and she's game to go hang out with Clementine. But perhaps it's the time you had a worthy story of origin. Sounds like Dr. Ford wants to give his host a chance to get consciousness in his new narrative, but on the other hand, he is opposed to what Arnold tried to do. Uh, you're completely right. Again, I think it's just he's he's getting old. He wants to make his legacy be a bit more than just fuckbots and shit to kill. He wants to give something some life, I believe. Walter, the host who got sent to the cold storage at the end of the pilot, he is together with Rebus when they approach Dolores. So either they made a new version of Walter and sent him back in the park, or this storytelling is really not linear. Hey, I never caught that. Did they send Walter down there too? Yeah, they did. It was Walter and Abernathy. Wow, nice catch, dude. I'm going to have to go back and watch that now. In season, uh, episode 3, I did not catch that at all. Yep, Dolores was programmed not being able to pull the trigger, and it definitely looks like she overrode that code. So much stuff in Ford's office to look at. I believe that's the point. He goes on to say, the head on the desk reminds me of C-3PO. Did the young Ford also remind you of Daniel Craig? Yeah, a bit. He looked built like that. Bit of food for thought on Ford's chalkboard. Hey, I just had this earlier in the show. Nice work, and I totally didn't even read your stuff. His search for consciousness consumed him totally. Sounds like Bernard is walking down the same road that Arnold did. How difficult is it to get an open line out there? Really sounds like this park is very distant, maybe even in outer space. Bernard's wife is Zoe Gina Torres, who is awesome. Uh, he does ask the same question I kind of said, too. Did Dolores expect a loop in which she got shot after escaping the barn, or what was that? Was it she had been shot before and this was a second loop kind of like it? Did she have some precognition? That felt a little bit weird to me as well. All right, and Andy's thoughts on episode four. Their pain, their loss is all I have left of them. Exactly the same that Bernard felt about his son, so he's going to leave it with her. Uh, the maze, could it be the path to consciousness? That's that's pretty much what I'm thinking. I don't know if it's the whole path. I don't know if the maze is actually a physical place or it is just the journey to get consciousness. I uh, missed the first time they put Maeve back to work with the shrapnel inside her stomach. Yeah, they just wanted to get her back up there and get her working again. The white church with the black top and the cross has to be the same one sticking out of the sand that, that Dr. Ford visits in episode two where he brings Bernard to. That would make sense, and the flashbacks then would make sense also. And the girl host disappearing from the fountain from one second she was there with Dolores and the maid, when she was looking down at the maze in the sand. I don't know what it means if it's just flashbacks. Uh, in her flashes, Dolores is kneeling and maybe digging at a grave near the church. Yep, that's the one that says uh, Dolores Abernat. It's A-B-E-R on it, so she is digging at a grave that is possibly her old grave. Another guest recognizing the man in black and mentioning his uh, admiration for his foundation and saving his life. And then the man in black kind of cuts back, you know, this is my fucking vacation, leave me alone. Pretty brutal. Man in black knowing about Arnold and wanting to honor his legacy. Choices, Lawrence. 
It's all about choices. Uh, when Man in Black saves Lawrence again, Andy goes on to comment about this. Lawrence's perfect delivery of motherfucker. Because again, saved from certain death. What, second, third time now? Uh, Andy goes on to say, in here, we were gods. Dr. Ford seems to have everything under control until he won't. Such great power play between Teresa and Dr. Ford. Ah, they disabled the guns from the guests riding with Hector so they can't hurt the approaching family. Then he goes on to say, Maeve's so hardcore to cut herself to retrieve the shrapnel or the bullet. Andy has a couple last quick hit-and-run thoughts. Indeed, the question of Westworld is where is it's located. Some have even theorized it's all in VR. Uh, my next writer actually thinks it's all in VR too, or thought it was all in VR. But the stuff that changes that is how is it all in VR if they constantly bring these physical bodies out to repair them? And the same thing with like the bird. If it's in VR, why would this butcher and or programmer dude bring a real bird out to putz with it? I don't know. I mean, I understand the concept of the, you know, Star Trek room or the danger room from X-Men. I just don't think that's what this is. But you never know. They'll surprise us. Ford also stops the host during his lunch conversation with Teresa. Don't know if Men in Black also has that power, but since he knows of Arnold, he also may have some inside knowledge. So, yeah. Either way, I mean, these are all good things to think about. And with this show, it is a lot like Lost. It is going to be the talking cure. So thank you, Andy, for the email. Definitely ship me some more. On to the last letter we have for tonight. This letter comes from a buddy of mine I've known since high school. Thank you, Bearded Dragon, for your submission. Bearded Dragon goes on to say, Some say that they have theorized that the park may be on Mars or some other planet, but it's not Earth. The first instance that shows this mo- most likely isn't true is when Teresa the head of, and the head of the narrative writer are outside talking, breathing air. Uh, th- well, if it's far enough in the future, we could have terraformed Mars, but that is a good point. Uh, there is another point in that conversation where she refers to the park and she looks and nods towards the building to her left, not the open plains to her right. Holodeck theory? I could maybe see that. I just, I don't know. They seem to be moving so much bigger and more vast areas, but I guess anything is possible. Uh, second, Ford has a conversation with Bernard about the mistakes in evolution, and specifically says mistakes led to the evolution of sentient life on this planet. I I do like that. I rewatched that episode today, and I do remember him saying that, so you could be right. Bearded Dragon then goes on to say, I believe this is Earth, possibly post-apocalyptic. Notice when they go down to level 83, it looks like a rundown lobby with the Universal Studios globe statue. Even though it's obviously in the future, I don't believe it's as far in the future as some would believe. Ah, that is true. I don't know. They're just There's so many different hints that it really could be anything right now. So I'm just throwing crap at the board and hoping some of it sticks. But thank you very much, Bearded Dragon, Jake, and Andy for your emails. Please, anyone, feel free to shoot us some emails, thoughts, theories. Tell me what you got. Give me an email at westworldweekly at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at westworldweekly. We will catch you next week to muddle through all the thoughts and theories on this park and we'll get through it together. With a little luck, we'll even be able to stay ahead of the inevitable AI revolt. See you soon.